Round two. You guys ready for round two? This is the second book of the Apostle Paul as he's writing to Timothy and we're at round two. And so now we come into another battle of the good fight and here's how it begins. I don't know, does anybody old enough to remember the movie Rocky? Yeah, a lot of you guys are way too old, so that's sad. Where are the young people at? Let's hear for them because that's what we need to bring in. But there's this moment of Rocky coming into his second fight where he's ready but listen, the Apostle Paul has that same thing today. He's ready to fight the good fight. He's heading to that place where it says, I fought the good fight, I've run the race, and, and I'm comfortable with who I am in Christ. But listen, the Apostle Paul is in Rome. He's in prison but he's still excited about Jesus. He's still excited about what God has done. Now, the last letter was written in about 64 AD. Paul was released for about a year, a year and a half, and now he's re-locked up. Some of us get re-locked up because of stupidity. Like none of you guys have ever done that before. And now Paul is locked up, and here's the thing, he has a death sentence. I don't know if you guys have ever been around death. I seem to do that a lot in ministry. You could smell it. You could taste it. And his death was imminent. And these are his last words. And so here's what we do to people that have their last words. We pay attention and listen. And here's what happens in the Apostle Paul's fight of the good fight. It's passionate. As we read this letter, it's very passionate because these are his last words. This might be the last thing he ever says to someone he cares about. And they're very powerful. Who needs the power of God today? Oh, definitely. Hallelujah. <laughs> and we are going to experience the power of God, not because I'm giving it, it's because God wants to meet you here today. And so here's what it says today, and this is what it says. Second Timothy chapter 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. God called him into ministry. God's will was more important than his will, and that's how his life was changed. And then it says, I have been sent out to tell others about the life that has been promised through the faith of Jesus Christ. Let's get back to that. That's critical. Then he says, I'm writing to you, Timothy, my dear son. The last one said, uh, my spiritual son. And then here's something interesting. It says, may God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. In all the other letters that he writes, except to the two or three letters, uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus, he writes about mercy. Do you know why? People that are ministers professional or lay people that do the work, missionaries and all, they need mercy. You know why? This world is tough. And in this, there's mercy. And God says, I want you, Titus, I want you, Timothy, to receive this mercy. So let's pray. Father, we love you and we pray in the power of who you are that you bring mercy. Holy Spirit, blow in a way that we've never seen it blow before. Bring us to our knees. Bring us to a place of worship. Bring us to a place of repentance so that your revival can start right now. Lord, we stand in awe and we know that this world needs grace and it needs peace. But more importantly, Lord, it begins with the mercy seat that you have, that you have created. And so we stand in awe and we are ready to receive. And we ask for you, Lord, to speak boldly to us. In Jesus' name, all God's people shouted. Amen. Hey, we're so thankful that you guys are here today. Online, give it up. Uh, if you're outside, let's hear it. 
<laughs> and thank you guys. You're in here. Let them hear how powerful it is in here today. So here's what we have today. I, I, let me tell you this. This is not on my notes. Somebody at 935 was rushing to get here. It was a woman. Said, forget the hair. So everybody look around for the woman with the cap on her head. But someone was rushing here and someone online was struggling for the computer, but God is going to meet us today. And if that's you today that was struggling to get here, mentally not ready to go, but God is here, he wants to work in your life. And we are so grateful because this second round really fits our church because we are on a mission to love the world one person at a time. That's the mission of the church. The vision is the church is as you are loved and as you are brought into the kingdom of God, that you will then be transformed into a world changer because you've been touched by God, you're going to change the world around you because of who Jesus Christ is. Passionate world changer for Jesus Christ. That's our vision, and that's what we're going to move into. And I believe today you're going to see it manifest itself in a way that we've never seen it today. Today we are going to explore the power of God. Everybody say power. I mean, we're talking about the power of God. There's nothing greater in the universe, nothing greater in heaven and in hell. There's nothing greater than the power of God. And today we're going to explore it and see it. And you know what? I believe we're going to receive it. You guys need it? Let's receive it and watch God work in our life. So here's what we're going to talk about. The power of God through the spirit of God. There's this guy named Smith Wigglesworth, and some people don't like him, but here's the thing. He has got some of the greatest miracles ever done in a small ministry. And here's the interesting thing about Smith Wigglesworth. He was illiterate. That means he couldn't read. Not dyslexic like me. He was illiterate. I know I sound illiterate, but that's just called dyslexia. But here's the thing. The only is he married a beautiful wife, and she taught him to read. And you know what she taught him to read? The Bible. The only book he ever read his whole life was the Word of God. There was no newspapers or no other books in his house. The only thing that he had. And once he owned the Word of God within his soul, all of a sudden the power of God manifested and worked in ways that he never said. And here's what he writes. Here's what he writes. He says this. The power of God will take you out of your own plans and put you into God's plans. Isn't that the Apostle Paul's life? Isn't that your life? That God was, you were heading down a road to Damascus and all of a sudden you are met by God and now you're going a different direction. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He was going to kill and destroy Christianity, but God met him and redirected him and said, no, I'm going to actually help you grow and ignite Christianity. So let's get back to the verse. What is God calling in us in verse 1? Here's what it says in verse 1. It says, Paul is telling Timothy, I have been sent out, me, Paul, the apostle Paul has been sent out to tell others about this life in Christ. This life in Christ, the way I'm supposed to live. And here's what he's saying. In, law, in Christ, you have a life that is promised in Christ, you have a life that is going to be full of abundance, that it's going to be overcoming. I don't know who's here that needs something to overcome. If you have something that's rattling in your head or your heart, he says, I can overcome it if you have a life in me. 
a life of hope, a life of destiny, a life of redeeming, a life of forgiveness so that you can experience, I have this life. And in this life, there's God's glory. And that's where we're here today. In verse 3, it says, Timothy, I thank God for you. This is gratitude month. Do you thank God? He says, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. I thank that God, Yahweh. I thank the God of the universe that has all power. He says, night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again. This is the last time. He says, I long to see you again. I remember uh, your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. He's never going to be together in person, and he knows that. He's minutes or weeks away from dying. He's going to heaven, and he's going to celebrate with Timothy and all the people that he planted and all the believers, time past and time future and those that are today. The apostle Paul thanks God for the work on the cross. Did you guys, when you did communion, thank God for what he did on the cross? so that you don't have to live in a condemning spirit, that you are free to live in the way that God wants you to live. That's what he's saying. I thank God with a clear conscience because you and I have been washed clean by the blood no matter what we've done, no matter how we've wrecked our life or other people's lives, in Christ I'm washed clean. That's what he says. I thank God he is grateful. Again, church, are you grateful? Are you grateful? And then it comes to prison pillow talk. If you've ever been locked up, I've been locked up, so I'm telling you from reality, there's this thing called prison pillow talk, which is you kind of get melancholy and you're like, oh, going home and mom's turkey or prime rib or some kind of meal and you start thinking about things. That's what Paul's doing. He's locked up. He's near death. He's on death row and he's starting to get to this place of reflecting. The last few months that I was locked up, I got put in this small little cell and when the lights were out, all you could do was find a little bit of light. And I was literally staying up all night to try and get a little bit of words from the page. I mean, it sounds like I'm something super spiritual. I promise you it's not. This is the only thing that made my life valuable. That's what Paul's talking about. This is all I got, brother. This is my last words. This is all I've got. And he's saying, remember those tears when we last parted. Remember all that God has done. And he's coming to this place of life is a blur. Night and day, it doesn't matter. I'm in a cell. And we are, when I was locked up 23 hours down, one hour, and when you got to go out and they didn't do much, was on the roof. And Paul is just reflecting and remembering. And God is telling you, Reflect and remember, and in just a few minutes, he'll tell you what to reflect and remember. There's a lot of tears, and there's just this moment of contemplation about life and what its value is and what its purpose is. And are you grateful for it? Verse 5, I remember your genuine faith, young Timothy, for you share the faith that was first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I share the same, I, and now I know that same faith continues in you strong. Now, again, here, listen, if you know the book, he's reverting back to hey, there's two women that taught a young man the gospel. 
Well, you know, Jeremy's message a couple of weeks ago, it's been like four weeks now, two women gave faith. Timothy's dad was a Greek, didn't believe at this point. We don't know if he ever came to believe, but we know history says at first he was a Greek and he didn't believe. But these two women shared the power of the gospel. Why? Because it was so strong, they're not, to, they're not supposed to keep it. We were in a prayer group before church, and, 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 and my friend James and Marlene, they were talking about that we have this Christ, and all of us just kind of hold it and lock it up and put it into Fort Knox. That's not where it belongs. It belongs to other people. It's to spill over to the laps around you and the neighbors in your neighborhood that are dwelling in this place. You are the light in your neighborhood. And that's what Paul is communicating here to us, this genuine faith. We need to share the legacy, the faith that God has given us. This actual word, share your genuine faith, is literally translated to unhypocritical faith. If you just look at the Greek and you kind of do a bunch of work and a bunch of writing, I just let someone else who's smarter than me do it and say it's unhypocritical faith. And what that means is it's faith is not an act. I'm up here, I'm not an act. This is who you get. I got all kinds of goofy jokes. I got bad jokes. I think I'm funny. I'm dyslexic. But this is it. Faith is not an act. This isn't an act. This is real life. And the job that he's talking about is living a life for the glory of God that's real and not just an appearance. This church is not about an appearance. Why? We're in the community center. We set up and tear down. It's just about Jesus working powerfully in your life. Real faith, genuine faith for the glory of God. And the good fight, the good fight is not an act. The good fight is something we have to do each and every day as we suit up with the glory of God. Putting on the full armor and fighting even when it seems like the fight is over. Verse 6, that's why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God has given you when I laid hands upon you. This could be the whole sermon, and all we could do is have a couple people up here and relay hands on you and go, remember when you were saved and you would drop to your knees and you're like, oh my God, it was so powerful, such a great day. I should be celebrating it every day, and that's what he's talking about. But here's what's happened. We have lost our faith or we have lost that fire that's driving our faith. Over the last few years, we have had our fire diminished or squelched or less than because other fires are stoked that are along the path and some are connected to Christianity, but not all are. And we've allowed those fires to stoke. And you know all of them. I don't need to remind you of any of them. And what God has given to us has faded. It's just a flicker, but it's, an, it's like an ember. But listen, Ventura County, do we know what embers can do? They can destroy a whole neighborhood with one wind blow, right? All we need is the wind to blow and that amber goes into someone else's lap or someone else's house and poof, all of a sudden the whole neighborhood's gone. And that's what God is talking about. Remember that gift that you were given. Fan into flame, let that ember jump into someone else's life and light their whole house on fire for the kingdom of God. This is a timely verse for Paul. Paul is reaching us at a critical time. We are at this unique time in history today. 
We got an election coming up and we're either going to be happy or sad one way or the other. And the idea is not to worry about being happy or sad. The idea is to open up your Bible and fan into flame the gift and trust that God is going to speak to you through the word of God and you will see the will of God and whatever his will is, we celebrate and pray for that leadership. So here's why Paul says fan into flames that salvation. Because here's what most people think. Well, I'm saved. My fire burns endlessly. It's not like the Coliseum in L.A. Or the Raiders Stadium where they got Al's fire up there. Anybody? No, guess not. Oh, man, I hope second service is better than this service. Listen, we are not robots. What we think as Christians, well, I got saved in 1986, or I got saved in 1992, or I got saved in 1952. Praise Jesus, you're here. But we have to continuously fan into flames. You got a guy, my buddy, this might be my buddy Wes on a camping trip right here. He loves wood and he loves fire. But if you got a fan into flames, sometimes you got to get in a position to get the fire going. And most of us aren't in that position because we don't really want the fire to burn. You hear that? For me to get to a place where I want the fire, I got to fan it into flames. And sometimes you got to get on the ground and you got to go, come on, honey. And you got to get low and get to that one ember and move one thing and poof, it's on fire. That's what he's talking about here. We're not robots. We need this to fan into flames. Why? Because we have trials. We wake up on Monday and have to drive in traffic and people cut us off and we wave to them. We love you. You're number one. <laughs> but life lets us down. Who feels life has let them down? Life lets us down. There's death, there's trials, there's divorce, there's repossessions, there's rejection. There's all these things that happen. And what happens is the drama of life makes us less than and feel timid. And that talks about this next verse. Listen to what it says. I love this. For God did not give, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power. That word power is dynamos. And it's a power, love, and self-discipline. So here's the thing you need to know. First thing you need to know, spirit is what? Now, fear is what? A spirit. I just messed my whole joke up there. <laughs> fear is a spirit. That's the first thing you need to know. It's a spirit. That's critical. If you want to walk out of your fear, if you want to break free of anxiety, you need to understand that this is just a spirit. It's not anything more than just the spirit. And that's why Paul writes this. This spirit leads to doubt and shame, guiltiness, and it makes you and I feel less than. We start to feel timid and we don't feel like we have the power of God within us. We start to feel like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. The actual word timidity actually means lack courage and confidence to do the work and will of God. That's what we're talking about here. And guess what? This fear, false evidence appearing real, is a lying spirit. But you know what? We believe that lying spirit more than we be believe in the power of God. And that's got to shift. Right now, the scales are way uneven. And I believe today God is going to burden, uh, take the burden of some so that that spirit doesn't take care of them. You know what? I had my own timidity, especially as a lead pastor, especially leading journey. I had this, and here's why. I was locked up, I'm dyslexic, I'm super funny. 
They haven't called me on uh, the late night show circuit yet, but it's happening. But listen, I don't have a big degree. And it constantly just pierced my soul like, oh, you're not good enough. That guy's got a masterate and a doctorate and English and Hebrew and all this other stuff. And here's what happens. When I feel this, I feel less than and I don't feel like I'm worthy and I feel like I can't do the work and will of God. And about 2018, I had somebody come in and start praying for me. And about 2019, when we talked about it a couple months ago, where I was like, hey, we're getting a building. I felt like, okay, God's breaking me free. And in the middle of 2020, I was at my lowest point and I was in my bedroom ready to quit and God spoke and he gave me this song it's called Champion and I literally played it a hundred times that day on my bed crying on the ground crying couldn't move and all of a sudden these words said you have all power and authority your degree and nothing can hold you back only the power of God propels people And from that moment on, my life has changed. The, the gifts and the teaching of my, my life has changed. I'm a different person today just from two years ago. And I think this morning as my tongue was being shaped in a prayer meeting today, I could see that something's happening. We've all felt timid. We're all afraid. We have all kinds of fear. Speaking in front. Who hates speaking up front? Can you guys all come up? <laughs> we'll get rid of that right now. <laughs> we hate confrontation. Who loves confrontation? Yeah. Security. But we hate confrontation, we hate seeing that, and we just run from that. And sometimes God needs to confront you and confront others in your life. But we run from it. We hate death. We're so afraid of death, but for Christians, death is a stepping stone to a better life. But we hate it. We hate rejection. I don't want to go and ask because they might say no. All of these things make us feel worthy. We hate being made look like a fool. We don't want to look like a fool, so because of that, we don't do anything. And the last one is we just don't feel good enough. That's me. I've done an inventory with a friend of mine, Richard, and over and over, this inventory of, of my recovery says that I have a fear of insecurity. And in my weakness... The Bible says God is strong. In your weakness, God is strong. And in that, you start to see the power, the very power and essence of who God is. So here's a couple of steps. The first step is in dealing with fears, you got to realize that it's not of God. This is not God. This is so significant. Everybody say, fear is not of God. The fear of God is different, but this fear, this spirit, it's not of God. It's something different. And God is not holding you back and saying you are worthless. He is saying you are worthy. The first thing you need to understand, it's a spirit. And maybe it's just your weakness. Maybe you've just been raised that way. Maybe you just never have been built up. Maybe something happened in childhood. Maybe it's just something human that's happened to you. 
or, or, or even worse, maybe there's something demonic holding you back. Whatever it is, it's not from God. That's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know is God gave us something. He gave us the Holy Ghost, the holy power of God to move and blow within our lives. And that power does something else. Here's what it says. This is the second part. The Holy Spirit gives us power, power to the weak so that the weak can actually glorify God, not themselves. He gives power to the weak so that we can love. Love who? Love the unlovable. Love the people are on the opposite political side so that they can know Jesus. And in time, they will grow to know the value and morals of God and what he wants for our community. That's more important than posting something. And then it says, it also gives you the power. And it's this power of love and serve is not to control. That controlling spirit is evil. It's a power to love and serve. Service. And then the last one is it's a self-discipline or self-control. That's the second step. When we are in the power of God, we are like this tree blowing in the wind. And, and, and the more wind, I don't know if you guys know this, but the more agriculture has adversity, wind and stuff, the tree gets stronger if you feed it correctly. The roots grow down because it doesn't want to blow over. It wants to live. And these are called the fruits of the Spirit. And when you experience the power of God, your tree will then start to produce fruit and you will start to see them in your tree. All of a sudden, what just looks like a small little bud ends up becoming love and joy and patience and kindness and peace and self-control. That's the power that Paul wants us to have. Verse 8, so never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? Never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. And don't be ashamed of me. You're going to see at the end of the text, people leave Paul because he's an old guy in jail again. And they're getting fed up with it. Even though I'm in prison for him, Jesus. With the strength, God gives me that word strength is dynamos. It's the same power God gives you. Be ready to suffer for me with the sake of the good news. Everybody take your Bible and a pen and scratch out suffer. I don't like that word. Well, that's what we do as Christians. We're like, oh, I don't like that word. I'm not going to use that word. I don't want suffer. I want joy. So I'm going to make it joy. Well, now you're God and you're in position. And you got to get rid of that prideful object so that you can experience the gospel for what it is. Every time I read this verse, it reminds me of Romans 1.16. It says, I'm not afraid of the gospel. I'm not afraid of the gospel. I'm not afraid to pray. And they're like, well, you're a pastor. You know what? I'll go to Coffee Bean and tell them I'm not afraid either. I'll go out to the park. The idea here is that you have that same power. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God at work saving People saving everyone who believes. If it's not about you telling them. It's about God doing the saving work. You just got to be obedient and tell them. I'm not ashamed. But what happens is we all feel timid. Are you ashamed of God? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed of the cross? Are you ashamed of your faith? Are you ashamed of what he has done? Because we're not talking about it. We're not celebrating it. We'll celebrate other things. But we're not celebrating this because we're ashamed. This is a timid spirit that the enemy's done wonderful things in our life with. 
to all of a sudden I can't say anything. That's not of God. We live in God's power. And if you feel that spirit, it's here right now. Do you feel that? It's only going to get powerful right now. Today we've sanitized the cross. We've disinfected the cross, making it safe. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you're safe. The cross is not safe. The cross is for convicted felons that are meant to die. And people that followed the cross back in the day, you're following a guy that was crucified? That was not safe. That was ludicrous. And calling him savior? That's ludicrous. That's being following a lunatic. It makes zero sense. The cross is not meant to be disinfected. Though I got a little bit of germ issue, so I like to get my hands nice and clean. The cross is not to be disinfected and make it safe. The cross is not safe. Christ is not safe. We live in a community where we want walls and garage door openers. You got that one? Thanks, John. We live in this safe place, but Christ is not safe. I promise you this. Verse 9, for God saved us. God saved us and called us to live what? Holy life. Not a safe life. Not a comfortable life. Not full of 401ks and a great retirement. Those are all good. I'm trying to get one. Hopefully I'll get it. I've got about 12 bucks. And I believe in the power of God. Jesus. <laughs> He's called us to live a holy life. He did this, not because we deserve it, but because we, because that was his plan before the beginning of time to show his grace through Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. Before time began, uh, uh, we call that eternity past. Things that happened in eternity past, but eternity's constantly there. Doesn't move back and forth linearly like we think. So it's eternity past. Today is eternity present. We have an eternity future. He says that Christ was there and all of this was part of the plan. He says, and now it has been made, uh, has made all of us plain to see by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. It's been made plain. He has broken the power. This actual word is a different word to mean abolish or to destroy. It's actually a negative word. It's an evil word of death. And I love this verse, he says, and illuminated the way to life and immortality or eternity through the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, he says, and God has chosen me. He's talking about Paul and he's talking about me. And you know what? He's talking about you. Not just me, because I'm up here regularly, but you. He has called us to be a preacher, to be an apostle, a teacher of the good news. Why did God save you? Think a mistake. I mean, somebody online's going, yeah, I don't know why he saved me. He, he didn't make a mistake with you. He didn't make a mistake. And someone in this room is interceding for you right now. So that you feel like you're not a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. He called you and saved you for a purpose. Here's the better question. When did it become plain and simple that Christ is Lord over everything and you need to no longer worry? 
There's some people in this church I walk up to and they're going through the worst things and they're like, it's okay. And I'm giving a, a hug and a prayer and I start crying. They're like, it's okay. I got Jesus no matter what happens. It's so plain and simple and my heart breaks because their body's falling apart, their life's falling apart, but they know the simple fact that God is good, God is big, and he's all powerful, and no matter what happens, he is God. When did the gospel become plain and simple? It needs to start. You need to get away from all the other stuff and just get to the focus of this one light in your life, magnifying everything that you do through Christ. Are you following that illuminating light that he talked about that's leading to eternity or are you living in fear? Are you living in the power or are you living in purpose? What's your purpose? What's your purpose? Some people are givers. I got a bunch of friends that just love to give. Yeah, hey, let me buy you a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a cup of coffee, a Maserati, whatever it is. I just like you love to give. If you're a giver, give. How about a server? We have the best serving team all over Ventura County in California. You know why? Because we got to set up and tear down every week. And we serve in day in, day out. And we've been doing this for so long that I'm getting gray hairs because of it. But if you serve, serve. If you're a teacher, teach. If you're a disciple, disciple. Prayer, pray for people. Heal, heal people. Share, share the good news. If you have a purpose, realize God wants to do that purpose and use that purpose. If you can give words from God, then give words from God. Going, hey, I was reading and I think God's speaking to you and wanting to hold you into, into his arms and just love on you because I know you're going through a tough time. Then give those prophetic words. Christ broke the power of death. Listen. For you. Not just for me and the good, the, the good people over here or the good people over there. He broke it for you. And so in that breaking, you get to live that life, eternal life with him, being the vessel bringing other people into the kingdom of God. Verse 12, this is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it. For I know the one whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted until the day of his return. The gospel is worth prison. I know a couple of people in here would go to jail for Jesus right now. I went to jail and was locked up, but not for Jesus. I was doing the Antichrist work. But the gospel is worth prison. And, 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 and here's, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying let's all go out and start a riot and get locked up today. My question is, are you willing to suffer just a little bit for Jesus Christ? I'm, I'm talking just a little bit. Sometimes you got to suffer through your life until you get to a place where go the gospel is plain and simple, but you've got to suffer just a little bit. I get it, but realize I've suffered. And so I understand what I'm asking. Will you suffer for Jesus? Because if you know Jesus, you would suffer for Jesus. So do you know him? That's what Paul's asking you. Do you know Jesus? Not the one on the cross, not the one that you Google with the little lamb, but do you know him? Because if you knew Jesus, you would live and want to suffer and go to the ends of the earth. And if it caused you prison, you would be locked up each and every day. But if you don't know him, we sit on our hands and we live in this timid place and we post from our computer late at night going, watch this. 
and nothing ever really changes. Do you know him? That's what Paul's trying to get to. He says, the first thing you need to know is what you believe. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's my savior. Yay. And in, in, in our church, we call that, that's the junior high answer. Jesus is the answer to everything, right? That's junior high. If you're in junior high, praise God. Sorry, I didn't mean to knock you down. But that's the answer. But really, the, Paul's saying, well, no, I, I actually know him. I, I, I not only believe in him, but I actually know who Jesus Christ is in my life. When we realize the truth about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then we're willing to go to any length and receive him because if God is for me, then who on this earth can be against me? That's what he's challenging you. Know, like if God is really real and you really believe in him and you say that I believe the little lamb holding God, then you will actually do more from and you know him. And I could list 648 names of who he is. Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He over, he's our overcomer. He is all these things, but here's what we need to know. Do you know him? Do you physically know him? So the first thing is to go from timidity to boldness, you've got to know him personally. The second thing is, Paul says he gave his life to Christ. Who gave their life to Christ? Don't put your hands up because we might need to do salvation later. So we give our life to Christ, but then he fully trusts that when I gave my life to Christ, this is Paul's words, that I trust he's going to take care of it for the rest of eternity. And most of us stop there. No, I gave my life, but do I trust that he's going to take us to eternity? God's got you. And that's what Paul's saying. I know him personally, and I know he's got me till the end. Verse 13, hold to the pattern of wholesome teaching you've learned from me. Timothy, listen, I'm giving you a pattern of teaching. Hold to that pattern and let me do the work. And here's what he says. A pattern shaped by faith and love that you will have in Christ Jesus. You have to know him by his faith, by having faith in him, and by loving him above and beyond everything. So Paul is showing Timothy a pattern of teaching in these words to give him the ability to, to live in God's power instead of a spirit of fear and timidity. So let me go through this really quick because I'm going to invite some friends up in just a second and I think you guys are going to be pretty excited about this. So here's the pattern of teaching. I'm just, all I did is go through the Bible from verse 1 to 13 and here's what he said. Here's the pattern. Paul's pattern is this. God has an, a, a, a promised life for you. An abundant life. An overcoming life. That's the first thing. Timothy, hold on to that. Church, hold on to that. That's verse 1. Second verse, be genuine in your faith. Not hypocritical. Don't put a show on. If you're feeling miserable today and you're hating life say I'm miserable and hating life and guess what will happen people will swarm and pray and intercede and watch your life stand up on the rock of Jesus Christ and no longer on the fear of this lying spirit from hell a genuine life an unhypocritical life then fan into flame you've been given a gift who's buried that gift and who's put it out in the universe so that God can use it and transform the world you have been given a gift fan that thing in the flame I was going to say something that I shouldn't have said fan that thing in the flame verse 7 that was verse 6. Verse 7 says, live in the power. The dunamis, the, 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 this dynamic power. There's a power out there. Most of us are living in the power of fear of this world. And there's a power of God that trumps that fear. He says, live in the power of, of, of uh, and love and of self-discipline. Listen, I am not a, I hate rules. 
I don't like discipline. I don't like rules. I like suggestions. But I don't like rules. But God gives me the power to obey the rules even when I don't want to. That's the point. Verse 8, never be ashamed of Jesus. If you're here today and you're ashamed of Jesus, you don't have to raise your hand. I promise you we're going to pray that out today. And you're going to see the boldness walk out and we're going to change the world because of that. Number, uh, verse 10, believe in God and follow that illuminated light. You know, there's a path to life and the path is not me and my church. The path is God and his church. And if I open up his words every day and just read a sentence, a verse, and I start living that verse out, that path will start to illuminate and my life will start to change. And the last one says, get to know God. Get to really know him and trust him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 14, who lives in us and with us and is here right now, carefully guard the precious truth so that you will be entrusted. I'm going to invite some friends up. You guys want to come up? You can come up over here. I got a microphone for you. As they're coming up, let me just say these words. The power of God is sufficient. It can empower anyone into a future with the kingdom of God. When we live under God, we live under God in this nation, right? Even though everybody doesn't believe it, we do live under God. When we live under God, we have the ability to overcome any obstacle in this world. God's power is magnificent. Everybody say magnificent. And he sees beyond all darkness and all of your limitations. And today, I believe my friends here want to help us as a church fight this good fight and, uh, and we want to celebrate. This is James and Marlene. They have a ministry called Ravenous Ministry. Uh, so give them a hand. They're, before I let them kind of speak to our lives, just realize this, that, uh, that they're missionaries. And every time they come to Camarillo, they say, this is home. And I just want to give them some time to speak to us and pray for us, and then we'll worship God, okay? Amen. Are we good? Yeah. Hi. Greetings. Uh, our, our ministry is called Ravenous Mercy. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's all good. I, I, I wanted to say, there we go. Um, when God gave us that name, I said to the Lord, yes, Lord, we need to be ravenous for your mercy. And he said to me, no, James. I'm ravenous to extend my mercy. You see, he's so hungry to give us the ability. He wouldn't have sent his son to die. He wouldn't have poured out the Holy Ghost if he knew we could do it in ourselves. He's so excited to give us the ability to live this life. We've been, I've been coming to America for 20 years. Malisa's been coming with me for the last six years. And God showed me something about California many years ago. And He said to me, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And I want to bring revival from California. I remember driving out of the airport in 2000. At the end of 2000, I was driving out of the airport in, um, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And as I drove through the boom gate, the map of America appeared in front of me like I'm looking at you. And all these little explosions started in California. 
lots and lots of little explosions and they started running and they ran right across the United States of America. And for a couple of years, we've been coming to California into this county. And every single time we come here, God would have us meet people in Camarillo. We thought it was Camarillo. <laughs> That's how we would say it in South Africa. And, um, and people would, would invite us. The one time we were here for, and in six days we get invited to come to Camarillo to, to meet with people seven times. And every time we come into Camarillo, we feel like we're at home. And God keeps telling us there will be a base here. Because I believe that God wants to do something in, in Ventura County. I believe that we're going to see something brewing right now. It's busy happening. I'm here to encourage you, and I'm going to let my list share with you now. We know that the body of Christ needs encouragement. This that, that my brother preached here today, in your weakness, he will make you strong. If you will just surrender. The Lord spoke to me a little while ago and he said to me, James, the level of your surrender will determine the level of glory that you will walk in. Amen. Consider that today. I love America. I've been coming to this nation for 20 years. In, I've been in 40 states in America. Traveling for the last 20 years, been doing many reconciliation things in this nation. One thing that America's got against it is its own ability. And I say that humbly. But if we want to see revival, we're going to have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're going to have to come to the end of ourselves. Because God doesn't like it when we touch His glory. And He says He will humble the proud. And He gives grace to those that are humble. But you know what the thing about humility is? God gives us the choice. He says, if you will humble yourself and pray, I will heal your nation. The beautiful thing about having the Holy Spirit is, we can say, Holy Spirit, help me to do that. And I believe God's about to up the ante. Hallelujah. I'm going to let Malise share a little bit and then we're going to pray. We had a little prayer meeting this morning with a handful of us. And the presence of God came in that meeting. And he spoke about what he wants to do. And it's really exciting. Amen. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I just want to thank you and honor you for for sharing the word that you did today touched my heart. 
just being in the ministry, I know sometimes when you travel and you go on and on and on, you need the encouragement. So this encouraged me today also just to go for the Lord. <laughs> and um, sorry. It's good to have tears. <laughs> Shows you we're humble enough to receive from our Father. Um, while we were in the prayer meeting, the, actually last week, the Lord gave me the word responsibility. And we often say we have responsibility. And he said to me, it's when you give response to my ability within you. And just to honor that Christ is, with it, he is within us. And to honor Christ in one another, in the body. And um, for me, that's also a place of humility, is to, to see Christ in you. And to walk a road with you and just to <laughs> let Christ be who he wants to be through us. And um, yeah, so I just, Holy Spirit, that's all we can say now. For where we're going, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to show us your way and really listen and hear what he wants each and every one of us to hear individually. So I just want to pray for us. I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Father, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that we have you within us, Christ Jesus, the hope of glory, the one that is the hope for a dying world out there. I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for the ability to love, even to receive the words that you speak over us. You said to me in the week also, it's also humility to receive the words that I speak over you of encouragement. So I just thank you that we can receive and we can believe the words that you speak. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us the ability to hold on to those words, Father. And we honor you and we give you glory and we say thank you for life and life in abundance. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Lizzie, can you come, come up on this? Hey, give it up to the best part of my life. Hallelujah. 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 One of the things, I have some friends that I came and gave a hug, and the lady that introduced me to my wife's here celebrating with us today. And what, a, what a blessing that is. And so. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Papa. I hear the Lord said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, these are vessels for your glory. We release today a greater level of anointing, Father. I thank you for a multiplication 
increase of your presence, even in these meetings, Father. I thank you, Holy Spirit, you're coming. The Lord says the